the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 93 of Magic Markets. It's just Mo and I this week. We do a show, just the two of us works out to be about every four weeks or so, hey Mo? And it's always fun because we get to talk about whatever we like, which is quite exciting. And it's usually a mix of macro, a little bit of company-specific news and themes, which is the stuff that I focus on a lot. So yeah, we really enjoy, uh, you know, we read different things in the market, we look at different things, and it always makes for a fun show. Agreed, Ghost. I, I get the feeling that we always kind of talk about whatever we like, and sometimes we have guests along for the ride who, who are gracious enough to share their time with us. Uh, this week, I think we've got so much to get through, so it's probably okay if we just have you and I on this call, because it's been a really busy time in the markets. It's been a busy time on the macro side. It's been a busy time underlying that in the stocks. It's so super exciting, because that's really what gets us excited, not just in this free podcast, but in Magic Markets Premium as well. It's what gets us excited every day in terms of how we manage our own money, and how we watch markets and execute on some of the ideas that we discuss. So super excited to get into some of that with you and with our listeners today, Ghost. So my hot off the press is US inflation, which is driving markets in a big way, right? It's causing uh, enormous strength, really, for the US dollar. It's causing lots of expectations around Fed interest rate hikes. It's causing havoc for emerging markets currencies. You know, here I am sticking my hand up as someone who earns and spends in rands primarily. So, you know, what's going on? What came in today? What did it look like versus consensus and what does it mean? Yeah, Ghost, I mean, literally hot off the press. It, it got released not even a few hours before we were recording this show. And I mean, US inflation is the big driver. First of all, why is it important? Why is the market so fixated? And why did we see these knee-jerk reactions? I mean, if you go and have a look at currencies, you go and have a look at equities, everything had this knee-jerk reaction on this US data print. So before we even get into the data print, let's discuss why is it important? It's important because this is the precursor to the next Fed meeting, the FOMC, which is happening in about a week's time. It's also during a period when the Fed is in its own blackout session. So you're not gonna see commentary out of the Fed between now and the FOMC. And so the market is waiting for this data print to inform, hey, can the Fed actually slow down? Do they hit pause? Or is this gonna be a business as usual, still an aggressive hiking cycle? That has a material bearing in terms of what you price into your valuations and where the overall economy goes. So that's why it's important. Now let's unpack the actual data release. We had US inflation and that printed at 8.3%. And the concern here is that, you know, previously we had it peaking at 9.1%. The last number was at 8.5. So there was this expectation that inflation would slow. 8.3 is slower than it was last month. But the problem is that it actually disappointed and came in above market expectations, which were for inflation to fall to 8.1% on a year on year basis. Now, Bear in mind, and this is why it's so important to look at what's priced into the markets, remember that the relative error, measurement error from a statistical perspective on this number is either plus or minus 1%. 
So the fact that the market has this knee-jerk reaction on a 0.2% miss or beat is just showing you how sensitized the market is to economic data releases and prints. Now for me, Ghost, the problem's not even the headline number. I don't think that's what's caused the stir. Headline inflation has slowed. We know that energy prices, we'll discuss that shortly, energy prices have come off in terms of a contributing factor to headline inflation. For me, the biggest worry was when we look at core inflation, core inflation, for those not familiar with the concept, is when you look at headline inflation, you take out food and fuel, which we know are being driven by the likes of the war in the Ukraine, for example. When you strip those out, what is the actual underlying inflation in the economy doing? And core inflation came in at 6.3%, this was, a, this was not just higher than the prior number, but also higher than the market's expectation. So the mix between core and headline is headline came in lower, core inflation came out higher. And this means that there are actual real inflationary impacts in the US economy. The Fed's gonna look at this and they're probably gonna say, guys, we've gotta stay the course with these hikes of 75 odd basis points. So no pause in sight just yet. And certainly I think maybe not even a moderation in terms of the size of the increments. That's probably why the market's been upset and had the stir that we've seen come through. But an important concept, you know, it's going to be high every month, right? Because it's a year-on-year -year number. This number doesn't mean prices are 6% up on last month. It means they are 6% up on the same period last year. And guess what? Next month, they are therefore still probably going to be somewhere around that amount up on the comparable month last year. Because price increases are, I mean, inflation is like famously sticky, right? You know, these increases come through. People put up their prices. They are not in such a great hurry to put those prices back down again unless competitive forces drive them lower. So this is like the snowball effect of inflation and why people say stuff like, you know, the Fed is behind the curve, for example, and that sort of rhetoric. I think it's an important point you raise because it, it's not to say that inflation is going to be higher every month. What it is saying is that, yes, prices are sticky. So bear in mind, if your price level, let's say now, for example, we've had an 8 plus percent in inflation increase. So if a price level was at 100, it's at 108 now, for example. Let's round that off, right? Now, next year, this time, if the price has remained at 108, it means that the rate of inflation has been zero. So inflation will change and bounce around because it's a rate of change, but that does not mean if the inflation rate is falling, that prices are falling. In order for prices to fall, you need to actually move into deflation. And so that's something that, again, it does happen in specific, uh, let's call it inflation components. If, for example, oil prices were at $100 at this point in time, and then next year oil prices are down at $50, hey, you know, I'd be very happy. But in that respect, you've had a 50% decline, a minus 50 in terms of oil inflation, right? But how that filters through at the end of the day in terms of the overall basket is also dependent on its weight in the overall basket and how much people actually spend on that. So a couple of those technicalities important to contextualize. The fact that inflation declined does not mean prices are coming down. It actually actually just means that the foot is maybe coming off the accelerator pedal a little bit, but it still means that prices are escalating on a year-on-year -year basis. Exactly. And the swings in the market are just incredible when you see the small, as you say, percentage difference versus, you know, expectation. And we see it when we look at company news that we do for Magic Markets Premium. So Caterpillar was a great example. They made a comment that they haven't really seen prices come off from suppliers, even though a lot of the underlying commodity prices have actually cooled off, their suppliers are saying, thanks very much, we'll, we'll keep making money on this for as long as we can, often because those price increases come in later. 
So you have this weird impact where the commodity price spikes. You know, the supplier makes less money for a while, then ramps their prices. Now they want to claw it back for a few months before they go and potentially moderate those price increases. And this is why inflationary cycles are so interesting. And another thing is, you know, supply chain is what everyone's been talking about. And in the company we're covering this week, the rather unfortunately named Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, they said in their latest earnings call that they see supply chains starting to normalize. They kind of make this throwaway comment. I mean, we haven't seen too much of that from others, but of course the supply chain varies depending, you know, what it is you sell. Maybe for fast fashion and apparel, it's obviously easier because you can just respond to things more easily. You know, the supply chain looks very different on microchips or on, you know, big industrials things that have long lead times. Yeah, you're 100% right, Ghost. And I think it's important to also draw those analogs because what we're discussing here is macro. But for our listeners, we, we want you to also understand how do you contextualize this in terms of actual, practical, what does this mean for our portfolio? What does it mean for our view on specific stocks? And another theme that's come through, you know, we've discussed supply chain. We've actually had entire shows on the supply chain here on Magic Markets. But there's another theme that's been at play that we've seen throughout a lot of the companies that we've covered in Magic Markets Premium. It's maybe something we haven't spoken about a lot on, on this particular free podcast, but that's why I want to get into it now. And that's the US dollar. The theme I'm referring to is that a lot of these companies, the US domicile, because we cover these global stocks, the US domicile and the dollar has been a headwind in terms of a lot of their earnings. Because remember, they, as the dollar gets more expensive, it actually ends up hurting them. So the reason I wanna raise this from a macro perspective is that the dollar's actually been on its longest losing streak in a year. If you look at where it was just before this, this inflation print, it was on this reasonably long losing streak. It's been losing ground, you know, it kind of, the market's priced in a lot of dollar strength. And over the course of the last couple of weeks, let me contextualize that. When I say the longest losing streak, it's just a couple of weeks, right? But it's been on this losing streak. And so the market started to say, well, maybe we've actually priced in a lot. Maybe all of this is priced in. The Fed starts to pause. The dollar's going to have to come off from that. What's happened on this inflation print is that it's rebounded really quickly. So in the short term, you've had this knee-jerk reaction. We had equity futures dropping 100 points on the release and then continuing. We've opened up negative. We, we've discussed some of this in the intro. The important point is we need to look at the longer term, what's priced into the US dollar. Remember, why is the dollar, if we look at the dollar index, for example, looking strong, is that we also have a very weak euro. We've had the euro move towards that parity level, you know, in fact, below, and it's, it's been there and thereabouts. So we've, we've seen that. That impacts the dollar's strength in aggregate. We've had similar moves, very extended moves of the dollar against the Japanese yen. And on all of those crosses, the dollar's actually been looking very extended. So if we were to take this inflation print out of the mix, I know we can't do that, I'm cheating a little bit, but if we were to take it out of the mix, the dollar was looking extended, and that's why it was on this losing streak over the course of the last several weeks. Right now, I think the market's gonna wait for the FOMC, they're gonna wait to see the Fed's reaction function, but this is important because at some point in time, inflation's gonna cool off. At some point in time, the dollar move's gonna be overdone again, and then that then sees a resumption of some of the trends that we've actually seen being playing out over the course of the last couple of weeks. If we see a weaker dollar, that could turn into a nice positive tailwind for a lot of the company's earnings, but you're gonna need that to offset, I guess, the drag on the real economy that comes from higher interest rates. Oh, I remember episode one of Magic Markets. We talked about the RAND. I think it was called Rolling with the RAND. I could be wrong. And one of the things we talked about was the importance of separating your currency decision from the stocks you want to buy. So for example, the right trade 
a couple of months ago was actually to move from rand into dollars and sit and wait for stocks to come off. That was the perfect, perfect trade. If you'd done that, you've made a proper amount of money. Because the problem is now US stocks come off, but now the rand has blown up again. And so if you look at it, you know, if you switch into dollars now, yes, you're going and buying a dip in the market, but you're also you know, exchanging your rands at a pretty horrible exchange rate. So it becomes it becomes difficult. That's the truth of it. You know, it's quite an art to be able to separate those decisions. But I'm pretty sure when I was at Varsity, good old purchasing power parity, you know, if you were the inflationary economy, your currency got worse. Not so for the dollar. Inflation is higher, therefore the dollar gets stronger. And that's got to do with expectations around the Fed raising interest rates, right? And I think for a lot of our listeners, they would probably appreciate, you know, your macro brain for a couple of minutes explaining how that actually works. Yeah, again, I think it's important. I mean, for, for a lot of my clients in, in Monos, the institutional asset managers, a couple of corporates as well, we spend a lot of time on the RAND. We spend a lot of time on currencies. So so let's maybe pick up on the purchasing PowerPoint you raised because yes, there's the, there's the stuff we go through at Varsity and then there's the practical real world and sometimes those don't dovetail. You know, I know certainly from the time I was at university to, to now, the world has changed. The world could change. I mean, that was a long, change. was a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, that's that's just impolite. But effectively, it's why we have to always question what are our assumptions in our models. No model is going to be perfect. On purchasing power parity, when you look at, for example, the rand versus the dollar, you don't just look at near-run inflation. You've got to look at long-term trends. We're talking multi-year trends. So yes, in the very near term, US inflation is running a lot hotter than inflation down in South Africa. We know that. However, what you do see is, for example, if you're looking at a fair value model that's based just on inflation differentials, the fair value of the RAND on a micro level will actually improve. It means that the fair value of the RAND should be lower versus the US dollar, you know, in theory. Why do I say in theory? As I've always say, said that fair value constructs, you get to them on the way through it going up or going down. So on that basis, do we see a structural shift between US inflation and South African inflation? If we see US inflation running persistently hotter than South African inflation, then you should actually start to see the RAND on a fundamental basis start to appreciate. So you've got to overlay the long-term, the strategic view versus the short-term, the tactical view to inform, is it worth buying or selling your currency at a particular point in time? And to the original comment you had made, we always reiterate this, and I reiterate it even with some of my institutional clients as well. I always separate the FX decision from the asset class decision. And the reason for that is that there's sometimes tactical opportunities. You might see the RAND is actually undervalued at some point in time, or the RAND is overvalued at some point in time. You wanna actually execute on that, then sit in your preferred cash, if you wanna call it that, whether that's in South Africa or offshore, and then make an independent asset class decision. Those, I can almost guarantee you, will never perfectly dovetail. You're not gonna get the right opportunity on your FX and the right opportunity on, let's say, for example, equities, at the same point in time. And that's the reason why it's so important to decouple those and take a currency view and thereafter an overlay with an asset class view. Especially true when you're sitting here in load shedding central because a risk off on US stocks is inevitably a risk off on emerging markets currencies. So they get hit at exactly the same time. Very frustrating, but that's part of the deal. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I mean, let's let's touch on your load shedding point because it, it ties into another macro point that I want to actually unpack and that's energy, right? I mean, yes, South Africa sits with this kind of structural dislocation with ESCOM and, and maybe I'm going to be impolite, so I'll, I'll choose my words carefully, but South Africa's energy deficit is a real and hard cap to growth 
in the South African economy. You know, I, I sometimes think that maybe the Saab doesn't even have to hike interest rates because you're going to run out of steam as soon as you get to a certain level of economic growth. You're just not going to have electricity. And that actually acts as almost a policy tool. So I can see you chuckling here, but that's, that's yeah, it's, very it's called cynical. It basically takes fiscal action for us. So that's, that's hilarious. I've never thought it's, of it's it that wrong, way. It's that's the wrong funny. kind of fiscal action, right? But the fact that is very is hawkish. ESCOM is the hard cap on South African growth. It's not the Reserve Bank. It's not the interest rates. It's actually ESCOM's energy availability. Now, South Africa is not alone in this energy crisis. I know gas prices in South Africa initially looked like they were going to go up. I think it was 50 or 100%. It was something obscene, right? I, I saw that. I know it's in the courts and nurses bouncing around with this. And I know, for example, Egoli Gas, they've gone through it, I think, like a 30% increase. Well, guess what? We may be facing those exact same pressures up here in North America. Europe, we know, is in a complete energy bind. They're trying to actually initiate price caps on Russian energy. And the Russians said, well, that's great. We're just not going to supply you. So energy market tightness of supply is very real. And I think like we discussed, for example, in, in the Caterpillar show or in the resource cycle, you don't just flick a switch and all of a sudden you've got a lot more capacity coming on stream. I think capacity where it exists is tapped out. There's also the fact that the likes of OPEC plus, which includes Russia, may curtail supply simply to keep prices higher because the fact of the matter is that there's not a lot of investment going back into fossil fuels. So this creates a structural impediment to energy prices and it's something that may linger for a while longer but will also have very severe macro and then geopolitical impacts which we can also try and unpack. One last point on that goes the US Strategic Reserve, the Oil Petroleum Reserve, they've actually been releasing stock from that Strategic Reserve. And guess what? It's had very little impact on the market. So that shows you that tightness of supply is a real factor and that not even releases of stock from the U.S. Strategic Reserve have moved the needle in terms of prices at an aggregate headline level. And it talks to energy dependency. You know, Germany is sitting there almost completely dependent on Russia. And uh, these, are the, these are the problems, right? So just talking about Europe, if I may, for a moment or two, there are a bunch of South African companies that have some exposure there. And it's just interesting to note, you know, who that is. So Breit at the moment is investing more in New Look, the UK-based fashion retailer. Now, interestingly enough, the UK fashion retailers are actually doing better. If you have a look at results out of, you know, Truers, the Fashini Group, um, even New Look's looking a little bit better. So just interesting to note that Breit is investing more in that region at the moment. Another business sitting inside Breit is Virgin Active. And Breit actually released a little operational update over the last couple of days. And one of the things they say is that Virgin Active Europe and the UK is struggling a little bit because consumers have less money for discretionary spending because they are getting caned at the moment by their energy costs. And of course, the cost of operating the gym is going up, right? So that's not ideal. And of course, if that's impacting gyms, you can imagine what that is doing to the restaurant industry. And the one that is very exposed there, and we covered Cisco on Magic Markets Premium a few weeks ago, and that's kind of the US food service monster. But... Bidcorp has got over a third of its revenue from Europe. And that is straight into the restaurant and hospitality industry. So pretty bearish for that, obviously. And it's just incredible to note what's going on, you know, with Europe. Ultimately, again, these these countries that everyone thinks are so stable, everything's fine. You know, things can change. That's the reality. At least in South Africa, I know it's broken. So I'm never shocked by bad news because it's like completely priced in for me. <laughs> 
Now, I mean, I mean, Ghost, even if we if we take a step back from that, I mean, it's so valuable, again, to contextualize that because like you say, we've discovered the likes of a, a, a Cisco, or not discovered, we've covered the likes of a Cisco in the US market. Uh, and again, listeners may be familiar with a Bidcorp in the South African market. And for investors that are operating in both geographies, they may wanna consider the opportunities between that because maybe you like the food services as a sector, but maybe regionally you don't like Bidcorp's exposure to Europe. So now maybe you can consider the likes of a Cisco in, and I'm not suggesting you do again, go and do your homework, go and check out our show in Magic Markets Premium on Cisco, but you may wanna go and consider a player like Cisco who has a larger US exposure than a European exposure. So those kinds of relative trades become quite important. One last point, just from a macro perspective, because again, there may well be some significant learnings even in the South African market from this, is China, right? We cannot end the macro show and not include China. Why do I wanna raise this ghost? Is that we actually have China's Xi Jinping visiting Uzbekistan. There's a regional summit that's happening there. And this is his first international trip since the pandemic. Now, I've seen the headlines on this. Why, why is this interesting? Why is this important? Is that there's a high likelihood, China's denied this, but there's a high likelihood that Xi Jinping is going to meet his counterparts Vladimir Putin and Narendra Modi at the summit. Now, why is it important? A couple of points. One, China is becoming a real competitor to the likes of, for example, the IMF when it comes to China extending bilateral financing to a lot of their trade, trading partners, the likes of South Africa. China is trying to exert that influence regionally. China is trying to act as a counterbalance to the United States. We know about the tensions. For example, we discussed China and Taiwan when we covered Taiwan Semiconductor in Magic Markets Premium as well. So there's a lot at play behind the scenes here. And why is it interesting is President Xi is actually up for re-election this year. And the fact that he's actually said, yes, I'm confident enough to leave my country, go to a regional summit, even in an election year, tells you that he feels as though he's pretty much unopposed in China. It makes him the strongest Chinese leader since Mao. And this may have a very material bearing on companies in the South African market, like a 10 cent with, for example, the whole tie up with NASPERS process. And I know there's been some action in that space as well. So, you know, maybe you can unpack how does this macro picture play into some of the stock themes in South Africa, specifically on Chinese exposures? Yeah, so there's a few. So, I mean, apart from all the commodities, the one would definitely be process NASPERS. I mean, I just, look, I famously don't hold it because I just can't get past what management earns for what they do. And now they're busy unscrambling that whole egg with buybacks here. And then they talk about selling down 10 cent, then buying back the shares to reduce the discount, which is actually correct. But they went and created the discount the first item. That's a whole nother can of worms. Mate. I don't even know if I feel emotionally ready to open. But you know, what is interesting is, uh, you know, last question to finish off the show, and this is important. Is Nancy Pelosi also in Uzbekistan? Is she still in Taiwan? Or do we not know? <laughs> We don't know, and we, we need to actually just check her stock holdings because if she has any way of benefiting from being in Uzbekistan, she's probably going to be there. <laughs> so, you know, you're I, not wrong. I, I say this tongue in cheek. There are actually Twitter accounts that track Nancy Pelosi's trades. Uh, let's rather park that. I, I think, you know, the Biden administration certainly has a lot of stuff to deal with. Uh, the last point on that, I mean, just if we're looking at US politics, I think the one big theme, and that came through for us, is. The U.S. infrastructure build out and investment bill is important. And the reason why it's important is that it will obviously have a direct bearing on the likes of, for example, Caterpillar that we had covered. But if the U.S. and the rest of the developed world goes with a rebuild policy, if, for example, let's say the Ukraine-Russia war miraculously gets resolved, they're going to have to rebuild countries. 
And so if you superimpose that on top of the US infrastructure bill, that gives you an underpin to commodities and resources demand that may offset some of the Chinese weakness that we've seen come through. So keep this in the back of your mind. I'm not super bearish at this juncture. I think, yes, we may see some interest rate hikes coming through, but I do think some of the bearish narrative might be overdone. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy with the tinfoil hat. Usually I've got my hedges in place, but I also think it's important to contextualize that it's not always doom and gloom and that sometimes the opportunities may arise. You just need to be able to look, contextualize, digest that stuff, and then decide how to execute it within your risk tolerance, your profile. So there we go. We're short Europe. We're on Pelosi. We're not panicking about the US. We're learning lots in Magic Markets Premium, and we hope you've enjoyed handing out to us for uh, this week's Magic Markets. We'll certainly be back next week. We look forward to that. Mo, thanks so much for your time. As ever, we always enjoy doing this. And to our listeners, you know, you know where to find us. Go and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Go and rate our show. If you haven't done that in a while, we always appreciate that. And let us know what you think. We love hearing from you. And uh, we would love to welcome you in Magic Markets Premium if that's something you've been thinking about and haven't taken the plunge yet. There is much to learn. Yeah, thanks, Ghost. Until next week, same time, same place. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.